0: stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him near the sea. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and repeatedly pleaded with him, My little daughter is near death, please come and place your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following him. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue ruler's house arrived saying, your daughter is dead, why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus heard this report, he told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They went into the house of the synagogue ruler and Jesus saw a commotion with people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But after he put everyone out, he took the father of the child, her mother, and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Grasping the hand of the child, he said to her, Talitha kum, which, when translated, that means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was twelve years old. They were completely and utterly amazed. Then he gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is the Lord of life and of death. Imagine that you had come right here to this very church to sit in those very chairs, but it wasn't for our regular Sunday morning service. It was more like a weekday, and the service was at about 11 o'clock. You were here for a funeral, and not just any funeral, a funeral for the daughter of one of your best friends, his only child. And, and you walk through those doors, and you get in the line for the visitation, and you're walking right up this aisle here, and, and you see your friend standing up here right next to the smaller casket of his daughter, what are you going to say? What words of comfort could you come up with to comfort, to encourage, to help your friend as he's saying his final goodbyes to his only child? I think most of us would would have a hard time coming up with anything to say, even those of us who who always seem to have something to say can can keep up a conversation, keep talking and going on and on. In a situation like that, we find ourselves tongue-tied. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus knows exactly what to say at a funeral. And today we focus on the three things that he says to to give comfort to Jairus who lost his his daughter. And we're gonna, we're going to gather comfort for ourselves from what he says. The first words that Jesus says come in response to the voice of death. Did you know that death has a voice? Did you hear its voice here in our text? While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue ruler's house arrived saying, your daughter is dead, why bother the teacher anymore? That's death speaking. That's death saying, there's no more hope. Just give up, go home. Have you heard the voice of death in your own life? It sounds like this. It sounds like the doctor calling you and and telling you, I want you to sit down before I give you the results of the biopsy. It sounds like your friend, you're out for coffee with your friend and your friend says, I wanted to... you this in person, but my my cancer has metastasized. It's spreading. It's the call you get from a sibling who says, you better get up here and see mom or dad soon because the doctor is, is not giving them months anymore, but weeks and maybe days or maybe hours. That's the voice of death. Why why does that stop us in our tracks? Why does that voice make make our hearts skip a beat? Why do we have to be sitting down when we hear the voice of death speak? Because when death speaks, it says it's hopeless. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I'm going to take someone from your life and there's nothing you can do about it. And Humanly speaking, that's true, isn't it? If this pandemic has proven anything to us, it's that humans with all of their ingenuity and all of their advancements and all of the money in all the world cannot do a single thing to stop death's brutal and violent war against life. Death's voice is chilling. And we hear death's voice and many of us have heard death's voice in our own lives. But how does Jesus react to this voice of death? He rejects it. He ignores it. He defies it. He dismisses it. He says, do not be afraid. Now, it's kind of interesting. Mark doesn't tell us that Jairus had said anything about being afraid. We're told that, that, that Jairus came to Jesus and begged him repeatedly, please come and see my daughter. She's sick and she seems to be about to die. Now, why? Why would he be so afraid? Why would Jesus pick up on the theme of fear when Jairus said nothing about it? We know. We know, his, his daughter was near death, and that's terrifying. Why, why is it terrifying when someone else, someone we love, is near death? I think there are two reasons. The first would be it's really hard, if not impossible, to wrap your mind around the fact that, especially if the death is, is sudden and unexpected, that the person you maybe sat across the table from yesterday, the person you maybe gave a hug to, maybe even the spouse you laid in bed and slept next to last night, you're never going to do that again. You're never going to be able to talk to them, see them, watch a Packers game with them, eat a meal. You're never going to be able to do that. And it's sudden, that's shocking, and it's hard to understand. And we humans, we're afraid of things that we don't understand. I think the second reason is even more potent. We try to avoid, at least especially here in America, we try to avoid death at all costs. We, we keep it locked away in nursing homes and hospitals. We don't like to acknowledge that death is a reality. We try to distract ourselves from it, ignore it. But when you're at a funeral... There's no ignoring it. There's no ignoring the fact that all that stands between us and, and being in that casket, assuming room temperature, is one distracted driver on the, on the highway, uh, one strand of one incurable disease, one breath, one fall. Just one beat of our heart. That's all that really stands between us and death. And, and when you're at, at a funeral viewing the casket, you can't ignore that. That's real. One day that's going to be you. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying to think that one day that's going to be you and I returning slowly back to dust. That's fearful. So you can understand why Jairus would have been afraid and why Jesus picks up on that. And, and yet even as the storm clouds of fear are, are enveloping Jairus, Jesus still says, Do not be afraid. The funny thing is I think if, if Jesus had said those words today, I really think he might have been canceled from social media for saying that. The experts I've spent many months writing long papers and giving long speeches about why we should all be absolutely paralyzed by the fear of death. They say the science is in. The science is in, and the science says that when you die, that's it. There's no coming back. You're never going to see that loved one ever again. And you don't dare disagree with that, do you? But Jesus does. Jesus denies it. Jesus disagrees. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Well, believe what? What had Jesus given Jairus to believe? He he hadn't told him, listen, it's going to be okay. We're we're going to go walking with the crowd and I'm going to go into the house, the room where your little daughter is, and I'm going to take her by the hand and I'm going to raise her to life. He hadn't said that. He, He hadn't even said Jairus, listen, death is only temporary and on the last day, uh, the Lord is going to raise your daughter to life and you will be reunited with her again. Jesus hadn't said that. So what was Jairus supposed to believe? What had Jesus given him to believe? What was the only thing Jairus could cling to? The guy standing right in front of him, right? He could only cling to Jesus. Jesus hadn't told him how it was going to work out. He hadn't told him the details of how he was going to fix his situation. He just said, You've got to believe in me. You've got to trust me. We know what that's like in our lives too, right? When we pray, and especially in times of of suffering and trouble, don't we don't we often have very specific requests for our Lord? You know, Lord, uh, Lord, show me. Just show me where I should go to school. Show me the, the spouse I should eventually marry. Show me, uh, show me what career path I should go down. Lord, Lord assure me that, that my children, even though they seem to have fallen away from the faith, you're going to bring them back, right? Assure me of that. Uh, Lord, Lord, assure me that our marriage is going to survive even though we had a terrible argument last night with doors slammed and sleeping in separate rooms. Lord, Lord, assure me of the future. And what happens then? You, you open up your Bible. Do you get any specific answers to any of those questions? No. What do you get? You get Jesus. And that's the point, right? You're, you're supposed to cling to Jesus. Like Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations, even even when all the world is falling down around you, even when you can't find any clear, direct answers from the Lord, you cling to the fact that He is gracious and merciful. Jesus was telling Jairus, you don't have to be afraid of death. You trust in Me. Have faith in Me and My power. And in the end, that is all we have, isn't it? We don't have the answers. We don't have the explanations. We don't have a... a, a magic eight ball that tells us what the future will hold with us or with our families or our jobs or our country. But we do have Jesus and the assurance that he loves us and is powerful and is working for us. And in the end, that's what our faith clings to. In our culture, funerals are generally pretty somber affairs, right? They're pretty quiet. Everyone, It's funny how... how at a funeral, everyone speaks in kind of hushed tones, like, Shh, we don't want to wake up the dead, as if, as if that could happen. But we, we see something totally different here in Mark. Mark tells us, they went into the house of the synagogue ruler, and Jesus saw a commotion with people weeping and wailing loudly. And if you've ever seen a, a funeral, even recently, or, or pictures of it, or a video of it from, from the Middle East till today, they're still like that. They're still loud. There's still a commotion. And in Jesus' day, it was typical, it was customary to hire professional mourners. Uh, Even a poor person whose loved one had died was expected to have at least two flute players to to play a dirge, to accompany uh, the the mourning that was going on. This was a very intense scene. Uh, Jairus, being the synagogue ruler, probably fairly wealthy, he probably could have hired a whole band of instruments to play and and a whole choir of mourners to be weeping and wailing. So this is a very intense scene that Jesus is walking into. And what does he say? He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, even though today our funerals are generally somber and quiet and respectful, and there's generally not a lot of weeping and wailing, There's still a commotion that goes on in our hearts though, right? It's still every funeral of someone we know and love throws us for a loop. Why is that? It's because from our perspective, death is like a black hole, isn't it? It's something we have never experienced. It's something we do not understand. It's something we can't diagram with a mathematical equation. It's something that science can't explain to us. It's a total mystery. Death is a mystery to us. And it throws us for a loop. But death is not that. Death is not something unknowable. It's not a mystery. It's not a black hole. To Jesus, Jesus understands death very well. He says, "The child is not sleeping; is not dead, but asleep." He says, "Death is but asleep from His point of view." Now, are you afraid to fall asleep? I, I know there are some of us, some maybe some of us in here who who do have nightmares when they fall asleep, who do have terrifying flashbacks to some traumatic experience in the past, and I know that, but, but even in general, we, we don't, we're we not afraid of falling asleep, are we? We know, we know what that entails. We know at the end we'll, we'll wake up again. You know, parents, are you, do you call 911 when your children fall asleep? I think most of us shout, hallelujah, they're finally asleep. I don't think we're afraid because... We know if, that while we'll miss them for a little bit, we can always wake them up. And what does it take? It takes putting your hand on their shoulder. Uh, for us, is turning the, the, the white noise machine off or, or saying something. They'll, and you have the power to wake them up. That's what Jesus is saying death is like for him. There's nothing permanent about it in his eyes. He can wake anyone at any time from the sleep of death. That is his power. That is his promise. And one day he will do that. One day he will wake everyone who has ever died up on the last day. He, he has that power. He has that ability because he is the Lord of life and death. And he earned that right, that authority over death, by coming here to earth, by, by assuming human flesh and blood. By assuming our flesh, he also assumed our ability to die. Now that's one of the greatest mysteries of all, isn't it? Death is a wages of sin. Jesus never sinned. Pilate himself said seven times, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. And yet Jesus died. His brainwave stopped, his his pulse stopped, his lungs stopped taking in oxygen. The Roman soldiers made sure he was dead by plunging a a sword, a, a spear into his side. Jesus died. What he did in that is he died the the only death that we really have to be afraid of. He died the death of the damned. He died the death of those without hope. His death was not only the separation of body and soul, but separation from the Father's love forever in hell. Jesus endured that death so that we never would. So that we don't have to be afraid of that the second death, as we sang about. We don't have to worry about that as believers. And the good news is that because Jesus was also true God, you know, being true man, he could die. But being true God, the, de- the, the grave could not contain him and had to spit him out in the resurrection. And Jesus tells us we will follow in his footsteps. Paul says, uh, for as in Adam they all die, so also in Christ they will all be made alive. That's why we don't need to fear death. That's why Jesus says, don't be afraid, but rather believe, because in his powerful hands, death is only a sleep, a temporary nap. One last phrase to deal with, and I want to deal with it this way. We'll compare what Jesus says to this little girl at this funeral, what what he will say on the last day, and what he says to us right now. So he walks into that little girl's room, grabs her by the hand, and says, Talitha kum, that's Aramaic, when translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And arose she did. It's interesting comparing those words to this little girl uh, to Jesus' other resurrections. And in every case, he is very, very specific. Remember, he came upon that funeral procession in the town of Nain. And he said very specifically, young man, get up. And also with Lazarus, when, Lazarus, uh, when Jesus went to the cemetery in Bethany, very specifically, Lazarus, come out. Why, did he, why was he so narrow, so specific? Well, especially at that cemetery in Bethany, what if Jesus had said, get up? everyone there would have come back to life. That would have been quite a sight, right? All of the graves of people who had been dead for hundreds, maybe thousands of years would have arisen. It wasn't time for that yet. But the day will come. Jesus promised in the Gospel of John, the day is coming when many will arise, when many will be called back to life, when everyone will be called back to life. But that's not necessarily good news for everyone. Daniel, the prophet, writes, many who are sleeping in the dusty ground will awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame, to everlasting torment. So what's the difference? The difference on that day will be whether a person has heard and believed what Jesus is still saying right now. And what is he saying right now? Well, it's obvious to all of us, Jesus is not going around to funerals and saying, get up. None of us have seen that. The loved ones that we've said goodbye to, we haven't seen them again. That was a very narrow thing. The, the reason Jesus raised people from the dead, just three, and even his disciples. Peter raised one and Paul did another. But that, very limited, Right? They they didn't say a lot of words raising people physically from death. But what did Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, what were they preaching and teaching consistently and continuously to people everywhere? The forgiveness of sins. Those are the words that Jesus continues to speak today that bring the dead to life. I forgive you all your sins I have paid for all your sins. And that is why death is nothing for you to fear. The the words of absolution are the life-giving words that Jesus still speaks today, not just to one person here, one person there, but to the whole world. It's limitless. Right up until the last trumpet sounds, Jesus is proclaiming forgiveness of sins to all the world for the sake of his death on the cross. And that power is not limited just to pastors. That is an authority that Jesus has given to you. By virtue of your faith, you have those words of life. Now, don't try using them as a, at a funeral. It's, it's not going to work. It's, not, it's too late for the person who is dead. It's not going to raise them to life. But I know you know some people who are spiritually dead in your life. Maybe it's someone who has hurt you. And you can give them life, new life. You can say to them, I forgive you and Jesus forgives you. And there are no more powerful words that can be spoken in this world. Jesus' words were powerful, akum, to give life, and the words of absolution are too. There's an old joke about four guys sitting around the table and they're talking about Uh, what they want to hear or have said at their funeral and the first one says i really want to hear that i was a good father while i was alive the second one says i I really want to hear um, and be honored for my service to our country in the military and and the third one says i i want to be i want to hear i want to hear the pastor talk about how how many lives i impacted and how many people i inspired and And the fourth one says, I want to hear someone look in the casket and say, look, he's still breathing. Now that may be the next best thing to hearing Jesus come to you and take you by the hand and say, get up. But it doesn't compare to the words that Jesus gives us to speak today. That you hear week after week right here in this church As a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those are words that bring the dead to life. We may be tongue-tied at funerals, but thank God that Jesus never was. He he takes our fear of death and says, don't be afraid, just believe. He, He puts death in its proper context. It's just asleep. You're going to wake up. And he gives us powerful words. Not words to raise the physical dead, but words that give life to the spiritually dead through the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen.